You Want It Darker by Ms. Chunks. Chapter 40, The Frame-Up. Summary. As I was trying, but he can't be succeeding if this is the outcome. After finishing at the riverbank, Aizawa and Hitoshi get back in the car with the detective Sakachi, stopping to pick up a couple of bentos that they eat in the car on the way to the next crime scene. There's slightly less urgency with this call-out. The body's been found in a private property and hasn't yet been discovered by the ravenous media machine. Yet. This makes Sakachi's driving much less stressful, which Aizawa truly appreciates. Busy morning, huh? Hitoshi says, and he and Aizawa are in the back seat as usual, but now with a couple of bentos wedged between them to use like an impromptu buffet table, fueling up while they've got the chance. Hitoshi's still a growing kid, and Aizawa has the terrible honor of knowing what it looks like when a person's grown up without enough to eat. Perks, not, of being a teacher. And even before then, Aizawa's memory has always been of scraping by on a living that's borderline at best. The way he grew up, staying above the poverty line was an achievement. Even if it was just to slip back down when business was bad and there wasn't quite enough to go around again. It was just for a while. Always just a while. Until things would pick up and they'd scrape by a little longer. Being proud his better-off classmates could never tell. Hisashi could, but he just helped, and it never needed mentioning. Hitoshi's lucky he hasn't had to worry about that stuff. Before, comfortable on whatever income Kiki's been able to earn, and siphon away from the doc's vast riches to sustain his estranged family. Dr. Shinso's fortune has surely been well hidden, and could even be doing things like paying five-star hotel bills right this very minute. Yet here they are in the suburbs. It just isn't Dr. Shinso's style. Aizawa doesn't think so, at least. Too busy, if you ask me. Aizawa's busy shoveling rice and vegetables drown in leftover sauce down his gullet with a pair of cheap disposable chopsticks. Hitoshi's been picking at his food at best, and there's a couple of times Aizawa's nudged him into eating. The greens and protein, at least. Stuff he needs to keep building his strength rather than sapping it. When the kid finally gives up grazing, and Aizawa's content it's enough, Aizawa will polish off the rest. Human waste disposal, Hisashi used to call him. Still does, actually, but it was more frequent when they were younger. The long years when leftovers that Hisashi brought home from restaurants and ritzy industry events were a free source of food for his disastrous best friend, who exes and friends kept saying to just admit he was in love with already. And looking back guess he was. Back then, Aizawa had poured every yen he made as a fledgling hero back into being a hero, and that didn't leave much left for things like regular meals, hot water, or having a fixed address. Or any address. When his lease on a dive apartment of dead plants ended unexpectedly. Though it was always unexpected when he didn't pay attention to the end dates. And Aizawa was convinced not to bother looking for another that fit his shoestring budget. Hisashi's fridge and sofa, or bed if Hisashi's perennial girl, or occasionally boy, friend wasn't there that night, had been a running source of food and shelter that kept Aizawa literally off the streets. Not that he minded the streets, 
so really it was more about keeping the streets off Aizawa, and a point of continuity in Aizawa's life far outlasting any others. Too busy? Hitoshi echoes, and Aizawa can't be sure, but he's got a pretty good notion that Hitoshi's imitating him. What's that supposed to mean? Hitoshi punctuates this with a noisy slurp of the gigantic soda that he asked for with his lunch, and Aizawa didn't see a reason why to say no to. Anything's better than cigarettes, which is what Aizawa would love after a big meal, but must try to resist. Aizawa sticks to grousing at Hitoshi for his vices. Especially when these things get out into the media, you can't always be sure it's the same killer. Maybe he's being a suspicious bastard, but Aizawa's learned that if his gut is telling him something's wrong, that quite often means it is. The journey they're on is long enough Aizawa's been asking himself why Shioko or the Doc would come here to murder some salaryman. This victim must have either done something to really deserve it, or it's another distraction, and they're in the wrong friggin' place. Again. At least Thomas still out there with his ear to the ground where it's shaking the most, as far as Aizawa's instincts are telling him. Which rings ever so slightly mentalist, if Aizawa bothers to think about it. Those sixth senses he doesn't have time for dissecting right now. You think Shioko had someone else do it? Hitoshi probes with puppyish enthusiasm, his connoisseur's taste for the morbid still going strong. One of the mind zombies? Who are still out there, let it not be forgotten. I think we don't assume anything. Aizawa lectures over the remnants of his lunch, which is the leftovers of Hitoshi's. Better to stay still in the dark and wait for an opportunity to strike than to stab blindly in it. Tell it to the fortune cookies, teach, Hitoshi dismisses quickly, a tone that warns of boundaries urgently staked out for a reason that soon becomes a clear. You sound like my dad. That was one of Dr. Shinso's lines, now Aizawa thinks about it. Presumption leaves margin for error. After meeting him only twice, the doc's already buried deeply in Aizawa's psychosis. It must be hard for anyone so profoundly fucked up by his father as Hitoshi has been, getting exposed to all that mania from the moment Hitoshi was delivered by the doc's own obsessively brilliant hands. Hitoshi probably doesn't want reminding that the doc gets into people's heads and sets up shop in there with a notebook and a tray full of surgical tools. They also can't discount the doc's new uses of his quirk, refined enough to convince people to wait hours just for the chance to be killed by him. They could be headed to the location of another loose end, using the doc's technique to spread the victims over distance, and certainly wasting their time but that only creates more questions. If the doc sent someone all the way out here to die, someone else would just need to be there to do the killing. It just doesn't add up. Not yet. So the only thing Aizawa can be sure of is not being sure of anything. Well, I'm not your dad. Aizawa puts as bluntly as it should be able to be said, as important and meaningful as Hitoshi is to him, in a way that's parental, along with a lot of other, even conflicting, feelings. Aizawa is still not, and never going to be, Hitoshi's father. Something else, maybe even like a parent enough to truly be called one, 
eventually, but still not, and never, dad. It helps sometimes to say it out loud. Stop acting like him then. Hitoshi snaps like he might as well have reached across the gap to slap Aizawa's chopsticks away from his mouth. Aizawa's hands stop moving for a moment, gaze pulling across the car until a resentful violet flare catches him entirely. Aizawa dares to think, for a moment, like the shadow from passing under a bridge at high speed, that there are a couple of similarities, as well as stark differences, between himself and the doc. The precise clinical approach of someone methodical and logical before all else. Stubborn, strict even. Strong-willed enough to handle a child as precocious as Hitoshi, surely at any other age as he is now. It takes a certain type of person to negotiate with Hitoshi's dangerous mix of knowing exactly how clever he is with a wicked defiant streak that didn't come from nowhere. Aizawa likes the challenge. Always has had a soft spot for rough diamonds, being one and all. Perhaps the doc liked that less, and turning these teachable moments into a twisted place to exert his iron will over Hitoshi, trying to mold his legacy, the failed successor of his power, into being a tool of the doc's design alone. More the fool him for thinking Hitoshi would so easily be controlled. I didn't mean to. Aizawa replies carefully, treading lightly on ground he knows is still so unsteady under pressure, not wanting to trigger a landslide. It's only been a couple of weeks, and what weeks they've been. It can't be forgotten that Hitoshi isn't used to this kind of relationship. Not yet. Or not without having to navigate the monstrous crater left behind by Dr. Shinso. Artillery-beaten tracks of Hitoshi's emotional landscape, which have been churned up where the tanks of authority figures and male role models brutishly rolled through. Then throw the struggle of heroes and villains in there, just to amp the, up the volume. But they're okay. It's normal to hit sore spots sometimes. It doesn't have to turn into an argument or irrational behavior, on anyone's behalf. Aizawa's tone is smooth and sippable, like tea that's, already to, that's ready to drink, the verbal equivalent of Nezu's special blend. I just meant that we all have to keep an open mind. Gee, teach, I'll try. Hitoshi counter-nags, but it's lighter, playfully sarcastic just wry enough that Aizawa senses he's being let off. Aizawa doesn't push any further, and Aizawa doesn't push Hitoshi any further, and sets himself to hoovering up the leftover food, stacking the empty containers and bagging them up to throw away when this torturous drive is over. To kill the last of the time, Aizawa props his face against his hand, against the window, in a lunch-fogged haze, getting drowsily lost in the consideration of whether he'll manage to be any better for Hitoshi than Dr. Shinso was. But gee, he tries. The sight of the newest murder is so far away that Aizawa dips his toes into the shortest of power naps while they're diving deep into suburbia. It's not much, but just enough to trigger the mental reset Aizawa needs to prepare for the upcoming reality of checking out the next in the day's rapidly stacking numbers. The apartment Sakachi finally parks outside is a large, luxurious block, situated in a prestigious neighborhood 
where people probably think the security and locked gates will keep them safe. More the fool them. A shiny lift carries the three of them up to one of the highest floors, under the supervision of a private security guard and a pale-faced police officer who was called to the scene first. Neither look like they're used to handling these kinds of crimes. The cop is no one Aizawa knows, and Sakachi doesn't seem to either. Different divisions, this far out from the city center. The shaken officer begins unwinding in the lift like a ball of yarn bouncing downstairs. The call came from his wife. She went out when she came... She went out, and when she came back, noticed her husband had come home early from work, and that he'd... The Death Note killer had... Sakachi sets a hand on the rattled officer's shoulder, before he unravels completely, soothing with a beaming grin. You'll leave all that stuff to us, alright? Thanks for holding the fort. Better to start on a blank slate than one covered with messy notes from someone who doesn't even know what they're looking for. A sigh of relief slips out of the officer, falling in time with the sliding lift doors, which roll open on a long hallway lit with tacky golden lamps and plush carpeting that leads the way like some kind of morbid red carpet event, of which Aizawa has attended three, and hopes it will stay that number, to the premiere of a new murder. Maybe Hitoshi's feeling the conveyor belt mentality of the day too, because as the security guard opens up the apartment door, Aizawa swears he catches Hitoshi murmuring, Here we go again, to himself like a little pre-crime scene mantra. Maybe Aizawa could use one of those too. This will be the last, maybe. Only, a mantra is supposed to be inspirational. The apartment is roomy and well furnished. Awkwardly, it reminds Aizawa slightly of his own home, at least nowadays. But Hizashi breathes life into anywhere he dwells, so while fancy, their home is still warm. This place has the feel of a newly constructed airport lounge, everything in a gray or beige, decked out with the accoutrement of people who don't have to worry about the utilities being shut off because there was no money or time to pay the bills that month. But Aizawa can attest, there are plenty of problems that can afflict people who don't have to worry about money. There's a woman sitting very still on a sofa, deep within the apartment, like a doll set up by a child in a playhouse. Another of the security guards stands watch near her, but is staring quite surely at his phone and looking like he'd rather be anywhere else. Sakachi didn't say how long ago the call had come in, and Aizawa could believe a few people have come and gone already, none too keen to stay. Sakachi makes straight for the woman and introduces himself. Good afternoon, Mrs. Shimizu, the woman answers quietly, delaying a moment before she turns to look at the detective. Mrs. Shimizu, Sakachi smiles. I'm Detective Sakachi. How are you holding up? Turning her gaze back to, to contemplate the empty space just to the side of Sakachi, the listless housewife says, My husband's body is in the other room. Which is not what the detective asked, and might fool the others, but doesn't convince Aizawa for a second. Not talking. That's not a good omen. Gee, a body. Hitoshi whispers to Aizawa next to him as they draw closer. Think we ought to check it out? This is intended to be sarcastically obvious, but Hitoshi's got this one all inside out. 
Not yet, Aizawa corrects, taking a few more steps to close the distance between themselves and Sakachi. The friendly face icebreaker who takes a seat on the sofa that's clearly designed for aesthetics rather than comfort. Just keep your mouth shut and pay attention. Hitoshi's a little puzzled and even more off-put by Aizawa's blunt marching orders, but it must be intriguing too. Why the freshly killed body is the last thing Aizawa's interested in seeing right now. Hitoshi's got enough of a sense of professionalism to pace quietly behind Aizawa as he joins the haunted the haunted window. Mrs. Shimizu, I'm a racer head, a pro hero assisting with the investigation. Aizawa introduces himself bluntly and sees a twitch in Shimizu's face. He doesn't spare much for his bedside manner, but that's kind of the point. Or maybe it was something he said. Can you describe the events leading up to your husband's murder? There goes the flinch in Mrs. Shimizu's face again, like the vibration of the skin was of a particularly tight drum. The widow says, I thought he committed suicide. Then who wrote the note? Hitoshi offers up quick suddenly, and Aizawa almost hisses at him to be quiet, but Hitoshi's consulting another authority the detective. There's a death note with the body, right? That's what they've said. I've not seen anything more than you have. Sakachi replies to Hitoshi more positively than Aizawa would have. Crafty little sneak knows where to play for the most favor now, and poor Sakachi might have his nose on the wrong scent. Then why don't you two go and look at the bedroom? Aizawa invites crossly, and Hitoshi and Sakachi both fix him with a what crawled up your butt, of a look. So Aizawa tries another tactic. Spying a balcony and an expensive-looking thing stood on it just might be an overpriced ashtray? Do you smoke, Mrs. Shimizu? I... a little. She confesses weakly. And sensing where this is going, Sakachi rises back up from the sofa he settled onto in an attempt to seem non-threatening, but it mostly just makes him look like a sack of potatoes. Me too. Aizawa invites Mrs. Shimizu to stand with a gentle curl of his fingers, spitting aside to Hitoshi and Sakachi. You two go ahead with the body. I'll catch up. Or get ahead, more likely. Suspicious but cooperating, Hitoshi leaves with Sakachi while Aizawa leads the timid form of Mrs. Shimizu toward the fresh air, like a little bird to the open door of its cage, curious yet afraid of the outside world. Hitoshi flings one last perplexed look at Aizawa before they're separated, wanting to see the body and not understanding why Aizawa doesn't. Not yet, at least. This is because Hitoshi's new school shoes... This is because Hitoshi's new school shoes and Aizawa's a pair of old, well-worn boots. Hitoshi will go with the gumshoe for now and eventually realize there's less to learn from a dead body than a living person beside it. Sakachi for the most part, knows three is a crowd with a timid witness, and if Aizawa wants to talk to her first, undisturbed, the best thing to do is give him room to do that. No other scene they've investigated so far has had a chief witness, or possible suspect, as critical as a grief-stricken widow who found the body. If it was grief that caused those wiped-away tears under Mrs. Shimizu's eyes, mascara stains that never quite budged for any amount of trying, Again, Aizawa reminds himself he can't assume anything. 
figuring out the door mechanism onto the balcony on his second try. Aizawa and the freshly widowed housewife step onto an airless balcony, tucked into a pocket of the towering apartment block so the window so the wind simply howls across rather than into it. Mrs. Shimizu steps out behind Aizawa and shuts the door behind them. And when she's turned back around, Aizawa's already holding out the pack of cigarettes he's trying to get through by giving away as many as he smokes. The one he takes for himself is part of the casework. Aizawa has to do it. Suspicious to ask a lady out for a cigarette and then not smoke one himself. This is a negotiation tactic. The fact that Aizawa enjoys it is purely a perk of the job. Going for a smoke, even with a stranger, is a familiarizing tradition that can ease up even the most skittish of witnesses. The air is far less formal when Aizawa leans back against the railing and lights up, taking a long first drag and exhaling before he asks, Could you tell me about your husband? Aizawa offers the lighter to Mrs. Shimizu, who is watching him with confused fear, but reaches out slowly to take the modest offering. Aizawa wants to try and make her feel comfortable, perhaps even safe, for a few minutes at least. But Mrs. Shimizu doesn't look like she's used to feeling safe. Her movements are her movements are too sudden. Like every action she takes is a nervous twitch backed by fear. Giving over the lighter provides a reason not to feel obliged to answer right away, and Mrs. Shimizu clearly gathers herself around the action of lighting her cigarette, taking the soothing rush of nicotine and a long exhale before she answers. He was a busy executive and under a lot of pressure at work. Mrs. Shimizu takes another drag on the cigarette that seems to steal her nerves, no longer looking so much like she'll blow away with the first gust that curls around the balcony. She's of middling height and age, kept youthful by advanced technologies and cold hard cash, but has the anxious, darting eyes of a person who's been on their guard for a very long time. Her black hair is cut into an into an executive's wife haircut that screams corporate schmooze, and she wears a necklace dotted with jewels. Aizawa wouldn't like to guess the value of anything that shiny over a high-necked jumper. Jewelry would normally be worn over skin, so the glitter of gems against dark fabric goes on to a long list in Aizawa's head of possible reasons for suspicion, though he keeps the knowledge palmed. Casual, as if this is a smoke break between colleagues for the same shitty business. Pressure, huh? Aizawa echoes innocently. How did he handle it? Badly. Shimizu clips a little closer than she imagined bringing the razor against her scalp. If Aizawa's any judge of it. A moment of oversharing, short and not all too sweet. If he committed suicide if that's even what he did. Hitoshi's question earlier was a good one and is still valid. If it was suicide, not the brainwashing kind who wrote a note. If it, if it was suicide, not the brainwashing kind who wrote the note. This leads Aizawa into another thought. What people think they understand about things they've barely scratched the surface of. Like Hitoshi, and what he thinks he's chasing a killer is all about. There's not a lot of rules, but one of the first is that the living make for better conversation than the dead, who can't answer questions. 
and unlike the still breathing, the dead can always wait a little longer to reveal what they know. All they've got left now is time. You've heard about the Death Note killer, right? Azawa hasn't much skill for witness interrogation, but he can make most things sound like he doesn't care for them any particular way. And combined with a premise, going out for a cigarette, the chatting back and forth of supposed small talk can be effective at unpicking details that might not have been pulled out otherwise. If only Hitoshi was here to benefit from the lesson, but that might get in the way of this sensitive piece of Aizawa's work. Aizawa doesn't relish the people part of being a hero, but that doesn't mean he wants anyone else to get their greasy and sensitive mitts all over it. They certainly won't find out as much about the victim's personal life from the dead body than his still living wife, even if the corpse is next to another bloody death note. Azawa wants to know what the note says, of course, but he, know he wants to know what he thinks it's going to say before he does. If he's right, then maybe he's getting closer to knowing what's coming next. How this thing finally ends. Aizawa's half-tempted to put in a call to Night Eye. Then again, maybe it's better not knowing. There's too many possible outcomes for this tale that Aizawa can't tolerate, and if Sir Night Eye gave Aizawa an answer he didn't like, the response would be a resounding, over my dead body? No. They say, it's someone getting revenge on men who mistreat women. Mrs. Shimizu might be cold, or simply troubled by the events of the day, but either way, her hands are shaking. She taps Ash delicately into the weird chrome spaceship-looking thing that is an ashtray, and brings it quickly back to her lips. A little hesitation and distraction, but still talking. That she's making them kill themselves as punishment for what they've done. She, not Shioko, as Awan notes, trying to keep track of how much has dripped through the media filter, and what brew could turn into within the hearts and minds of the public. That's right, isn't it? As Awan realizes he's being questioned, the stormy gray eyes of Mrs. Shimizu fixed on him for confirmation, validation, of the narrative she's gleaned from the way the news has spun the story for greatest sensation. Aizawa takes a thoughtful drag on his cigarette, summoning the drowned faces of the lovers from his memory, innocent, holy, and truly, and also the drug addicts, whose only vice was their own addiction. But there's also the lawyer who defended rapists, the serial molester, the men who frequented hostess bars. That's the stuff fueling the public narrative of justified killing. Vengeance by a woman turning the tables for all the things her gender goes through at the hands of men, and what the system endorses at the cost of women's safety and well-being. It's a prettier sell than the whole truth. Lying's all the more effective for being based in reality, and the reality is awful. Meeting Shimizu's searching gaze, Aizawa has a pretty good idea of what this woman wants to believe. What she wants Aizawa to believe, too. An echo chamber for the rationalization she needs to hear. Busy executive, bad under pressure, Aizawa thinks back on. Committed suicide, sorta. Murder's murder, as long as he didn't actually want to die. So Aizawa's answer isn't what he actually thinks or not all of it at least, but it's what Mrs. Shimizu, 
and the case requires, and it is still partly true. You're not wrong. Aizawa takes another pensive puff, pausing for just long enough to let the feeling of affirmation sink in, like watering a plant that's been wilting for who knows how long. That'd mean your husband was a man deserving punishment. Aizawa doesn't phrase it as a question, so much as a statement that he's waiting for Shimizu to deny, to say no, he was a good man and didn't deserve this. But Mrs. Shimizu just takes another stormy-eyed puff on the cigarette Aizawa used to loosen her up, and her silence speaks volumes. Looking harder, Aizawa notices the way the top of Mrs. Shimizu Looking harder, Aizawa notices the way the top Mrs. Shimizu wears covers her from neck to wrist. That could be innocent. Could be. Aizawa spots a bulge on the arm that Shimizu is smoking with, hidden under the clingy fabric of her clothing, and from it draws out an opportunity. Have you got the time? He asks innocently, even though his phone is in his pocket, and he knows it's around one o'clock-ish. Mrs. Shimizu's pinches the cigarette between her lips as another eddy of the breeze into the hollow of the apartment balcony blows a strand of hair across her face, and a look of utterly human irritation crosses her expression. Flickering her head back to sweep the hair away from her face, Mrs. Shimizu pulls up her sleeve with her other hand and uncovers a watch, which Aizawa also wouldn't like to guess the cost of, but more importantly, exposes with a simple gesture what Aizawa is waiting to see. Because of the kind of things Aizawa does for work, hero work mostly, though sadly enough it comes into teaching sometimes too. He's got a good eye for the age of bruises. What it looks like when it's been half a day, a day, a couple of days since someone was grabbed, hit, beaten hard enough to leave a mark. He knows what all three of those look like together. The blushing layers of yellow and purple that can be crudely painted into human flesh. And if Aizawa didn't already know, now's a perfect example. That clouded triangle of Mrs. Shimizu's bare wrist is all Aizawa needed to see. Didn't want to, but there it is. Wrists are common targets, weak points that are easy to cover up, but grabbable, crushable, good for holding people down. It's about 20 past one. Mrs. Shimizu answers without realizing what she's given away, and that's the best way for now. Aizawa doesn't want to think about what kind of ugly reality could be hiding under the high collar Mrs. Shimizu dresses with diamonds, but Aizawa's still not fooled. She pulls her sleeve back up, gazing at Aizawa more seriously. You said you were a hero. What's your name again? You won't have heard of me, Aizawa replies with a nonchalant puff. So the events leading up to your husband's suicide. Not murder. Aizawa's not going to make the same mistake again. She corrected him the first time, and it took them away from the point. Aizawa can accept that Mr. Shimizu is a man who killed himself, regardless of who was forced into actually doing it. I... My husband went to work in the morning as usual, and I went out to the shops like I normally do. Mrs. Shimizu regales as she gets towards the end of her cigarette, overemphasizes on how normal and usual everything was, in spite of the cadaver in the other room. But he must have... 
turned around and come home while I was out. I got back and he was in the bedroom all like that. Did anyone see you leaving? Azawa asks and gets a fearful look in return. When you went shopping. Nothing else, just proof of the events, corroboration that could be important. Azawa can ask about Mr. Shimizu presumably leaving the building separately. He'll probably make a point of it, in fact. Oh, the security guards in the lobby. Mrs. Shimizu answers, closing up a little as the realization of what Aizawa is doing to her sinks in. This is still questioning a witness, just dressed up different to how she might have prepared herself. With a detective or a hero that seems like a hero, and not a crusty mop of a person joining her for a smoke on the windswept balcony. That's intentional, too. Shifting the victim-suspect into a different environment, where the things they rehearsed with themselves are less familiar to how they practiced. An easier way to shake them up than with aggressive questioning, especially for a woman who's gone through what Mrs. Shimizu looks to have gone through. Do you know if your husband had any enemies at work? Azawa takes weight off the nerve that seems raw, not to say he won't return to it, but to move away for now before the needle of panic climbs high enough to ring the alarm. I... Yes, he certainly seemed to. Mrs. Shimizu answered, more comfortably. He was often... unhappy because of the way his colleagues treated him. Specific words. Too many for Aizawa to go through one by one. He has to snatch the whole card pile now and check the value of his hand later. He took that badly too, I'm guessing. Aizawa stubs out his cigarette with a look that tells Mrs. Shimizu she can she probably doesn't have to say anything. If Aizawa carves out the slimmest moment of time to think like a mentalist, he could wonder if it's something he can project. That air of understanding, the hidden trait of words that make took badly into took out on you. They don't have to say it. Because if Aizawa asks Mrs. Shimizu if her husband liked to beat the shit out of her to feel better about himself, Aizawa is surely going to initiate a denial sequence she's probably practiced hundreds, even thousands of times. Even if it's not barefaced denial, she's still going to be triggered, panic and most likely retreat out of fearful instinct. She'll stop talking, and that's what Aizawa needs her to keep doing, because there's more to be found out yet. Build the trust. Make her feel like it's going to be alright. Fuck. It's gotta be alright for someone, eventually, right? But not before Aizawa takes a proper look around, now that he's gotten a read on the widow, and has an idea in his head of what the bloody death note is going to say. Time to see if he's right. Aizawa spots Hitoshi and Sakachi coming back into the main room, looking for him or perhaps the mournful Mrs. Shimizu. She stubs out her cigarette in the elegant, alien ashtray, and pats her palm to her face, fingertips under her eyeline like she's blotting away a line of tears that never grows fat enough for falling. Or maybe it's just her eyes watering in the wind that sneaks in gusts to invade the balcony. There's a few questions I'd like to ask you, Mrs. Shimizu. Sakachi announces as Aizawa slides the door back and they step inside, shrouded in tobacco smog and the stench of a private conversation. 
and there's something I've got to show you. Hitoshi addresses just Aizawa. Aizawa exchanges no more than a brief nod of understanding with Sakachi, and a quick glance for Mrs. Shimizu. Hopefully the detective will be gentle with her, but this is Sakachi they're talking about. If Aizawa can manage, any friend of Toshi's is going to be enough of a bleeding heart to do fine. Hitoshi is walking ahead of Aizawa, and the dimensions of this place are big enough it takes a while before they reach the doorway of the unhappy couple's bedroom. Aizawa can see the edge of a pool of blood from here, creeping into view like a sinister finger running along the polished floorboards. Watching Hitoshi's back down the hallway, Aizawa has another flash of that man-he-could-be outline. Seeing Hitoshi's profile as the workings in process rather than a completed piece. The colors and broad lines are all there. The formative sketches have been done. Hitoshi just needs some finishing off to be a fully completed masterpiece, even if life's a constant work in progress. If that's the case, Aizawa's a chaotic charcoal scribble whose lines get heavier and angrier as the years pass. Enjoy your smoke break? Hitoshi might be teasing, but he still wants to know what Aizawa was up to. Not really. Aizawa shuts it down and pauses before he gets through the door, stepping at, stopping at the threshold to watch Hitoshi instead of straining for the out-of-sight view that Hitoshi's itching to show his mentor. I've got a guess, though. Aizawa begins cautiously. A guess about what? Hitoshi turns to face Aizawa, his head tilted just askew. Perplexion the mood he's been wearing in regards to Aizawa from just the moment they walked in. Being similar doesn't mean always agreeing. What the note says. Aizawa answers without moving. This is a silly stall, but he wants to know if he's figured it out. He wants to make this a teachable moment, which means showing Hitoshi what can be learned from talking to the living before consulting with the dead. Come in and see if you're right then. Hitoshi responds dismissively, but Aizawa doesn't budge. It's about more than being right. It's about having your finger on the pulse of what's actually happening. So Aizawa says the only so Aizawa says the only thing he knows about the victim's death so far, regardless of whose hands were behind the act, and tells Hitoshi, he deserved it. Hitoshi's smiling, or was, until the comfortable time with teacher grin falls from his face. The gaze becomes tense and hot, like holding a hand over heat that's blistering to the touch. Hitoshi turns to glance at the wall out of sight to Aizawa, and then back to him with unnerved surprise. How did you know? Hitoshi's tone is a highball of awe mixed with a little fear. And when Aizawa ste finally steps into the room, the heartbeat of this crime is throbbing live under his touch. It's frightening for some just how Aizawa manages to know the things he does, before he's ever seen the proof they all take for granted. Well, it's because Aizawa looks. And that's why it's no surprise to him that the death note painted in blood on the Shimizu's bedroom wall reads, I deserved it. <laughs>